Well, good morning. How's everybody doing? Man, it is a pleasure to be with you. Everyone uh, watching online, I'm excited this morning to uh, open the Word of God with you. If, uh, if I haven't met you yet, my name is Corey, and I'm the student pastor here um, at Westwood. And so I am excited to, uh, yeah, to be able to speak and be able to uh, open the Word of God with you um, this morning. And so it is going to be a joy. And so we're going to attempt, though, to do something rather unique to Westwood this morning. And that is, we are going to, um, I, I, listen, I know that Pastor Kenneth has taken about a year to go through seven chapters of Acts, but we're going to try to attempt to cover an entire book of the Bible this morning, okay? And so I actually cleared that joke with Pastor Kenneth, all credit to him, he's the one that came up with it, but Philemon is where we're going to be. And so if you have a Bible, please turn with me to Philemon. Philemon is in the New Testament. I don't know when the last time you've read an entire book of the Bible has been, but we're going to this morning, Philemon. It nestles right between Titus and Hebrews, and so if you need to use your table of contents by all means do so, that's what it's there for. And so Philemon is where we are going to be today. And so although this is a short book, it is rather explosive in its implications for you and I this morning, okay, and for you and I today. And so Philemon is, is packed with deep truths that hopefully we can understand this morning. So let me do this. I'm going to pray for us, uh, and then I'll give you some context and framework before we read this book. And so, Father, we come before you this morning, God. I pray that we would read the Bible, not just to finish it this morning, but to change. God, would you help us to hear your word? Lord, we are thankful for it. We are thankful for the gospel of Jesus. We're thankful that we can come to you. And so, God, as we read this story, would we feel conviction? Lord, would, we, would, we, would it bring us to obedience? And so, God, I pray that you would just do a miraculous work that only you can do as we study your word this morning. And so, God, I'm thankful for Jesus. And it is in his name we pray. And all God's people said, amen, amen. So to give you some context and framework before we dive into this book, okay, so this is a letter that is written by Paul. And so to give you the backstory, though, this is written to Philemon, and Philemon is a successful Roman citizen. Philemon is a great guy. He would live in Colossae, where the book of Colossians was also written to. Maybe even these letters would have been delivered at the same time, Colossians and Philemon. And so he would have most likely met Paul in Ephesus and became a believer in Jesus. And so Philemon, though, has a church that was started by a guy named Epaphras. And so Epaphras started this church in Colossae, and this church meets in Philemon's house. And so Philemon is a leader in this church, and Philemon had servants and slaves, and um, one goes by the name of Onesimus. Onesimus, at some point, has wronged Philemon. Onesimus, either through theft or cheating or, or something, has cheated out Philemon and has ran away. But this leads Onesimus, he has to run away from Philemon, and in the Lord's providence and sovereignty, he finds himself in prison with Paul. Onesimus does. And so let's read this together. We're going to read a whole book of the Bible this morning. Let's go. Here we go. Starting in verse 1. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and your faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though, I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man now and a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this is perhaps why he parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I'll repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I'll be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ, Jesus sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And so we just did it. We just read an entire book of the Bible. Way to go. And so Paul begins his greetings, though, to Philemon and his family. Aphia would have been most likely we can assume that that is his wife, Philemon's wife, and Archippus is his son. And Paul praises Philemon in his opening prayer for the love that is shown to Jesus for his people, that Philemon has shown to Jesus and his people. Paul then paves the way for his request in this one verse in verse 6. If you look in verse 6, he says, And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. So he's saying the right thing in the right way. He says, I pray that the sharing of your faith, that word sharing means partnership. It means mutual participation, okay? So the big like Greek word, okay, that like seminary students love is the word koinonia, okay, koinonia. And koinonia, what that means, the definition of that is that it's when two or more people receive something together and share in it. They become partners. We received it together and we share in it. We're partners now. And so faithfulness to Jesus means that we recognize that all of his followers, every single believer in Jesus, we are equal partners who share together in the gift of God's love and grace. But koinonia, it's not just like an idea, it's something that you do in relationships. The gospel of the Lord Jesus received by faith in Christ and his perfect work, his perfect atoning work on the cross, right, we cannot help but work itself out in our love for one another our loving actions towards one another. And so God-given faith is active. It's dynamic. It does things. 
And so this is what brings church together. It is the relationships, not membership, not because we all like the same thing. You like Jesus, I like Jesus. No, it is our commonality church. Every single person in this room is a sinner who needs a Savior. Our, our, every, every single, that's, that's the commonality. It doesn't mean we like the same teams. It doesn't mean we have the same whatever. We live in the same neighborhood. It does not matter. All that matters is you're a sinner. I'm a sinner. We all need Jesus. We share in that together. We have been transformed believers. Every single believer has had a, is a new creation. We've been transformed by Jesus. And so it's interesting, though, right, that Paul doesn't, like, bring up Onesimus um, until verse 10. He kind of like, <laughs> you see, like, Paul's like kind of like almost like buttering Philemon up. Listen, I know how sweet and loving you've been. I know how like, right, is he, is he trying to disarm Philemon? And this is interesting because presumably this letter would have arrived simultaneously with a guy named Tychicus and Onesimus. They would have been the ones that actually delivered the letters, right? Can you imagine? Can you put yourself in that story? So, right, like 10 verses Either Onesimus is standing right in front of Philemon, or maybe Philemon did something crazy and was like, hey, you know, as they're walking, he's like, we got this letter we're supposed to deliver to Philemon. Hey, Tychicus, like, how about you deliver it? And I'll just, like, hide behind, right? Let's see how Philemon responds. Are you picturing this? Can you imagine? Can you imagine, like, like seriously, someone, like, Onesimus is like, special delivery? Right? Like, he, maybe he would hide, maybe he would hide from like from Philemon because he's like, listen, I don't know how he's gonna respond. Maybe, maybe he would be so eager to give it, right? <laughs> to be like, hey, Philemon, before you say anything, hey, read this. Hello. Okay, like if those who are on TikTok, this would be like the audio clip of like, let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. Right? Like this is like, if you don't on TikTok, your life is better. But anyways. <laughs> but like, can you imagine? He's like, so eager. Would he have wanted to ding-dong ditch Philemon and say, we're just going to put the letter here. Hello. Let's see if he reads it and let's watch and see how he responds before. But Paul, he, he pleads for his brother in Christ. He waits though till Onesimus to bring him up. But here's what he says in verse 10. He says, I appeal to you from my child Onesimus. Paul, referring to Onesimus as a child, means that Onesimus is not the same Onesimus. Onesimus has come to faith in Jesus. Okay? Onesimus has responded to the gospel, and so he is a new creation. Paul is the one that got to lead Onesimus to Jesus. Paul got to tell him about Jesus. Onesimus has been serving faithfully now in the prison, but this conflict with Philemon must be reconciled and resolved. Okay, so what Paul is saying, though, is that the Onesimus standing before you, Philemon, right now is not the same one you knew before. It's not the same old slave. This is a new Onesimus. Don't miss this, church. Like, this is what it means to be in Christ. The Bible says we are nowhere near Jesus. We are nowhere near him. Right, despite our best efforts to be good, all of our knowledge about Jesus, by our nature, we are blind to the truth. We stand condemned. And so unless Jesus does something to rectify our situation, we have no hope as sinners. But the gospel good news is that Jesus has done that, that Jesus has rectified our current situation. Jesus has taken our place and redeemed us 
by his work on the cross. He's not the Onesimus you once knew, Philemon. At some point, Paul would have told Onesimus, hey, listen, brother, your problem isn't that you are estranged from Philemon. Your problem, even though you may think you have freedom because you ran away, maybe you're working at the jail, maybe Onesimus is in prison because he got caught doing something else. I don't know. But he says, listen, you might think you're free, but you are still a slave to your sin, Onesimus. Onesimus, this puts you at odds, not with Philemon, but it puts you at odds with the God of the universe. And he would say, Paul would say, listen, I was once estranged from God too. I hated God, actually. And on a day that I was not looking for Jesus, Jesus was looking for me. And Jesus came to me on a road in Damascus and he changed me. He redeemed me. And Onesimus, that can be you too. You can be changed by the gospel. You can be redeemed. And so church, the question this morning, is that your testimony? Is that your testimony? That you have been changed? I was useless and God has made me useful. Verse 11, formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. Paul is sending a once useless slave back to Philemon, now useful. And the pun is terrific because the name Onesimus means useful or beneficial. So literally that is his name. That's what Onesimus means. So when Philemon and his wife were talking about Onesimus, they would say, hey, what about where's useful, where's beneficial? Oh, he's actually useless. He's no benefit to me at all. He ran off. He stole our stuff and took off. And so he has shown that he was useless in his rebellion and in his sin. However, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. Behold, the old has passed and the new has come. We are new creations, not by attachment of religious exercises on the outside, but because of heart transformation on the inside. So Onesimus is different because his heart has been changed. It is because of this church that Christianity has no hopeless cases. There's not one hopeless case that Christianity like runs away from, right? Two reasons why people reject Jesus as Savior. Number one, if you're a note taker, two reasons why people reject Jesus as Savior. Number one, they are too good to need him. Too good. In their pride, someone say, listen, I don't think I'm that sinful. I don't understand. When you call me a sinner, that makes no sense to me. If I'm not a sin, how can I believe I need a Savior to save me from my sin if I don't think I'm that bad of a sinner? In their pride, someone would say, listen, you're Jesus, whatever. Great, good for him. I don't need Jesus because I'm good. And so the Lord deals with someone like this that would reject him in a simple requirement that we see in the Bible, and that is the demand for perfection. So someone that is blinded by their sin because of their pride, God deals with them in a demand for perfection and nothing less. So to all, anyone who would be so arrogant, anyone who would be so prideful to say, listen, I'm not that bad of a sinner. How are you doing on perfection? To any rich young ruler in the room, hello, how are you doing on perfection? Because that's what the Lord requires. And there has been one perfect person in the entire history of, of the planet, and that is Jesus. Jesus is the only one that satisfies perfection. Secondly, there would be a person that would say, hey, listen, I'm too good. I don't don't need Jesus. But the second person would say, listen, I'm so bad. Why would Jesus ever cope with me? It's rooted in despair. Not pride, but despair. 
say, listen, I'm too bad. Jesus doesn't want me. Jesus doesn't care for me. Listen, I know I'm a sinner. I get that. That's easy. That's crystal clear. But there is no way Jesus can save me from my sin. Why would Jesus want someone like me? How do I know that he loves me? And so to to anyone in the room that's sitting in their despair, maybe you at home viewing online, if you're sitting in your despair, look no further than the cross of Jesus to see how much he cares about you. To see what he has done for you. He stood condemned for you. For he was pierced for your transgressions. He was crushed for your iniquities. The punishment that brought you peace was upon him. And by his wounds you are healed. Isaiah 53.5 says. And so, God's grace is massive. I love this. Psalm 62, verse 11 says, Once you've spoken, twice I've heard, that the power belongs to God and that mercy and kindness is yours. God has every right, right, to crush us. But he tempers all that might and meets us with grace and mercy and kindness. That is how he views you. And so this could all be said of Onesimus, right? His, his pride and his despair, right? His leaving him in a place where he thinks he's unsavable. Think of what the people would be saying, right? Hey, I heard Philemon lost one of his runaway slaves. Yeah. What a deadbeat, that guy. Oh, man, like, I heard he took some of Philemon's stuff. Can you believe that? Maybe people in his own church meeting in his house would say, hey, where's that one guy? Oh, he left? Ah, he's a bad egg anyway. Good riddance to that guy. And so, I don't have time, church, this morning to, to tell you how many times in, in seven years of student ministry I've seen students who on the outside look useless, but there's a defining moment when they meet Jesus and they become useful. Happened a couple weeks ago. One of our students in our church. I'm like, incredible. Incredible times when People meet Jesus, and they become useful. And so the radical change is what has happened to Onesimus in his heart. Look at verse 13 and 14. Paul says this. He said, I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that, you, that he might serve on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but by of your own accord. We see Paul isn't merely asking for a favor, okay, but appealing to Philemon's goodness. Paul would have kept him. He's not saying, listen, this guy is kind of annoying. He met Jesus, but I'm sending him back to you because, like, I don't want him. Paul's saying, no, no, this this is a brother. This is someone who is serving. This is someone who I would love to keep him. But listen, there's a greater opportunity for you to forgive this man and accept him, and he is going to crush it. I believe he's going to be so good for you. And so... Paul does this and look at verse 15. For this perhaps is why he parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. No longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in flesh and in the Lord? I love this. What a huge request, though. Right under Roman law, Philemon would have every right to see fit to do, deal with Onesimus however he wanted to. Philemon could have said, you go straight to jail. Philemon could have said, listen, like, you're going to be punished. Philemon could have even said, listen, you're going to be punished to death in Roman culture and Roman law. So Paul is not only asking for forgiveness here, but Philemon to welcome Onesimus back 
not as a slave, but as a social equal, as a family member. This is more than kindness. This is unheard of, of what Paul is asking for. And I, I love verse 15, right, where he says, for this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while. He left you, he ran away from you, so that you could be united with Onesimus back forever. I love this. So that the Lord could get the glory. This is how God uses Onesimus' sin and his running to bring him to salvation. You'd think, right, the opposite would be true. You'd think the best shot for Onesimus to become a believer in Jesus would have been at Philemon's house, right? He's, I'm, hanging with, I'm hanging with a bunch of Christians. Philemon, believer in Jesus. I'm, I have a great master. I have his wife is super kind. His son is awesome too. And all these Christians keep coming to church. You'd say that's the best shot Onesimus has to be a believer in Jesus, not in Rome, Rome's a big, scary city. It's a bad place. He's got no chance now. Yes, there is, because God is God. I'm going to amen myself. Amen. Yes, because God is God. Okay, so as God is omnipresent, his ways are higher than our ways. And so here's some encouragement to you in, in the room this morning. Parents that might have a runaway child. Hmm. Would you pray that God would cross their paths? Whether it is a rebellious college student, whether it is someone who is running, a family member that you know that is running from Jesus, man, the Lord can show up in the darkest of places. They would be shown Jesus, that they would see Jesus, that their hearts of stone would be melted, and that Jesus would draw him to himself. Do not give up. Let's see and let's pray for what God can do in the hearts of people. There are no hopeless cases. And so here is Onesimus running. He's chasing sin. And where does he run? He runs smack into Paul. That's kind of hilarious, right? And the Lord's providence. As their paths cross, Onesimus would have said, hey, it, you know, whether he was working at the jail or whether he was in jail with Paul, he would say, hey, I'm actually like a runaway slave I'm from Colossae. You say, oh, really? Who was your master? Oh, it was a guy named Philemon. Oh, I know him. Right? He would say, I know, I know, I know Philemon. And in this conversation, right, Paul would say, hey, listen, I agree that you are running from Philemon, Elismus, but you are a slave to your sin. You are running from God. Let me tell you about Jesus. And because of him being changed by the gospel of Jesus, he is in the family of God now forever. So why in the world would Philemon have any, why would he do this? Why would Philemon accept Onesimus back? And I love this. Verse 17. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. Do you see Jesus here? Here, look at the gospel. Here we go. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. This is important. Okay, he's saying this. This is important. I write it with my own hand. So it says at the beginning, Paul is with Timothy. So pro probably Paul would have most likely just spoken these words and Timothy would have been the scribe to write it down. And this is a moment where Paul says, hey, I'll write it with my own hand. He would have gone over to Timothy and said, hey, give me the pen. I'm writing this one with my own hand. I write this with my own hand. Okay, he says, I write this with my own hand. I will repay it. So the handwriting in the letter would have changed. 
from Timothy's to Paul, and he would have said, hey, listen, I will repay it. To say nothing of you owing me even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you, and the Lord refresh my heart in Christ. Paul says, I love this, verse 17, if you if consider me your partner. There it is, the word again, koinonia, same word, sharing, partner. He says, if you are in koinonia with me, if you share in the love of Jesus with me, so does Onesimus now. He is in Christ now. And so do you see it? Do you see Jesus? This is a reflection of what theologians call the doctrine of imputation. That's a big word, but impute, to impute, means to put on account. Okay, and so when Jesus died on the cross, my sins were put on his account, and he was treated the way I was supposed to be treated. And then when I trusted Jesus as my Savior, his righteousness was put on my account. It was imputed onto me, and now God accepts me in Jesus. Jesus says to the Father, listen, Corey, he no longer owes you anything. I have paid his debt in full. Okay, I have paid it on the cross. Receive him as you would receive me. That is the gospel good news. Let him come into the family of God. And so this is the only book where Paul doesn't speak of the resurrection and death of Jesus. Why? Because he just modeled it out. He just demonstrated it to Philemon. He just demonstrated it to Onesimus. Right? He, just, he said, listen, this is what the gospel is. Paul plays the Jesus role in this. He says, listen, I will repay it. I have you covered. Okay, he doesn't need to explain the cross with his words because he is demonstrating it through his actions. And so two things we see, if you're a note taker again, two things we see in these actions. Number one is we see reconciliation. We see reconciliation. God was reconciling the word and the Messiah to himself, not counting the people's sins against them. 2 Corinthians 5.19. Reconciling the world and the Messiah to himself, not counting the people's sins against them. Not only can the power of the gospel change broken, our broken relationship with God, but it can also change our broken relationships with each other. And so, with our broken relationships with each other, Number one is reconciliation. Number two, we see, we see koinonia. We see the sharing of the gospel. All three men are equal before God, sharing in the same need of forgiveness. Paul, guy who wrote all the, like half the New Testament, right? Philemon, leader of our church, Onesimus, the runaway slave, every single one sinner saved by Jesus. Every single, all three of them. Koinonia, fellowship, the relationship between master and slave is no more. They are now brothers in Christ Jesus. In God's family, people are made new. Colossians 3 verse 11 says, Here there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Church, in the kingdom of God, your value and your status with the king is not defined by your race or your gender or your social or economic class or however long you've been a Christian. In the Messiah, there are simply new humans who are equal partners who share together in the healing mercy of Jesus. Equal partners we share. And so the question, as Paul demonstrates the gospel, the question is the same to me and to you this morning, is who do you need to demonstrate the gospel to? Who do you need to demonstrate the cross to in your own life? 
through reconciliation maybe with a family member. Maybe someone even in this church that you need to reconcile with. Maybe even your own spouse you need to reconcile with. Because you are a believer in Jesus and I'm a believer in Jesus and we are called to this. We share in faith together. Maybe some of you have friends who don't know Jesus and they need to see this demonstrated out towards them. Maybe the Lord's bringing someone to mind. Will we have the opportunities to do that this week? And out of the love shown to us in Jesus, that's why we show the love to other people, right? And so to forgive is to turn the key and open the cell door and let the prisoner go free. To forgive is to write in large letters across the debt, nothing owed. To forgive is to pound the gavel in the courtroom and declare someone not guilty. To forgive is to shoot an arrow so high and so far it can never be found again. To forgive is to collect the trash, leaving the house clean and spotless. To forgive is to raise the anchor of a boat, untie it from the dock, and let it go out to the open ocean. To forgive is to grant a full presidential pardon to the condemned criminal. To forgive is to release the chokehold you have on your wrestling opponent. To forgive is to pressure wash your driveway, leaving it brand new. To forgive is to smash a clay pot into a thousand pieces so that it can never be put back together again. Forgiveness. In Philemon, forgiveness is not just a principle, it's not just a story, it's not just a good idea, it is a real-life situation. A real-life situation where Philemon is put to the and says, hey, here's your opportunity to show Jesus. Here it is. And Paul writes this in verse 21, he says, confident of your obedience, I love that, we know the outcome of the story, that's why it's in the Bible, right, that Paul writes with confidence, we are to presume. He says, I know you will do even more than I say. Philemon would embrace his once useless slave. Now as a beloved brother in Christ, increasing, interesting enough though, the, the, the name Philemon means the loving one. Philemon has a perfect opportunity to be that, to Onesimus. And as Philemon was obedient, so we can be the same. And, and thinking of an illustration of this, and how we become adopted into the family of God, and we are seen as brothers, you, you get all the benefits of Jesus. Right? You, the Bible says we are co-heirs with Christ, right? Like that we get to be with Jesus. And so there's a story, I'm not sure of the validity of it, or just that it's been passed down a long time, so if you've heard this story before, but it's the story of a father and a son. And the father um, and the son were the only family they had together. It was just a dad and his son, and they had no other family. And together, they shared a passion for art. They collected art. They had different, like, really expensive artworks. They had Picassos. They had O'Keeffe's. They had Dollies. They had all this artwork in their house. And that was their passion. That's what they loved. And the way the story goes is that the son was then drafted into the military and was sent off to war. And in as he was sent off, the son passes away. And so with that, the father is left by himself until he gets a knock on the door, and it's a soldier. And the soldier says, hey, um, I just want you to know your son gave up his life to save mine. And so he told me all about your paintings. He told me what y'all had. He showed me pictures and stuff. And so I'm not a painter. I'm a soldier. But... 
I painted a portrait of your son. And he says, it's not good. Listen, it's, I'm not, like I said, I'm not a painter, but I wanted to give you something because of what your son has done for me. And so the father just breaks down and says, I oh, thank you so much. And he hangs it in a place of honor. He puts it over the mantle. He says, listen, like, it, it might not be the most expensive. It might not be the prettiest, but this is the picture of my son. And as the father goes and he lives longer into life, again, no family, but the father passes away too. And it is time for the estate sale. No next of kin, no, no, nothing left. It's, so the house, all the paintings have to go. And because of the network of the people that love these types of paintings, they all come to the estate sale because they know what he has in his house. Oh, I'm going to get one of those. or I'm going to get that original. I'm going to get this painting. So people flock to the front yard of the house of the estate sale. Auctioneer comes and the auctioneer says, okay, we're going to start this morning and we're going to start bidding on different items. And so if you would, turn it over to the auctioneer and the auctioneer says, okay, here we go. First item up for bid. And they put up the painting of the sun. And he says, okay, here we go. Here we go. Who give me hundred dollars, hundred dollars, hundred dollars, you know, however it goes. hundred dollars, nobody raises their hand. They're waiting for the good stuff. I don't know what this painting is. Hundred, 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 hundred. Fifty? Would anybody give me fifty? Fifty. Who'll give me fifty? Fifty, 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 fifty. Nothing. Twenty? Would anybody give me twenty dollars? Would anybody? Come on, y'all. Twenty dollars. Reluctantly, a neighbor next door goes, I knew the sun. I'll buy that one. Twenty dollars. So we can move on. The auctioneer says, $20 going once, going twice, sold. $20 to this man. Thank you guys for coming. This auction is now over. And everybody says, hold on, hold on, hold on. What about, those other, what about the other painting? What about the good stuff? The lawyer goes and reads the will of the father, and he says, whoever buys the painting of the son gets it all. The house, everything, they get it all. It is as if the neighbor is now next of kin. They are in the family. And so that is the picture of Onesimus. Philemon would embrace him and say, you are no longer a slave. You are in the family of God. We are brothers because you are a sinner saved by Jesus. I'm a sinner saved by Jesus. And that's why we can have koinonia together. And so this morning, may you and I be obedient to reconcile, to forgive, and to share in that together. What a gift that we have in Jesus.